This is Gotham TV Podcast, episode 62, about Gotham, season 2, episode 11, Worse Than a Crime. Hey, this is Drew Powell. I play Butch Gilzean on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Yes, that was Drew Pell, and I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Welcome back, Gothamites. This is episode 62 of our podcast about Gotham, and we're talking Gotham, season 2, episode 11, Worse Than a Crime. And I round out the trio. I am John, one of your other hosts. Yeah, well, I'm, imaginary trio, yes. I hasten to add. Yes, absolutely. We'd love to have Drew Pell with us every week talking Gotham. It would be awesome. He isn't even in this episode, unfortunately. No, he's not. He has um, not been in the last two now. Mm-hmm, that's right. Went off to set up his own crew and then has disappeared from Gotham for a little while, but I'm sure we're going to see him back pretty soon. Yeah, last we saw was him staked out in a corner shop, being questioned by Harvey and Jim. But no doubt he will be back soon. That's true. That's true. Uh, well, welcome back. Uh, we're going to be talking about this episode in a little while, but if you follow us on our Facebook group over at facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV podcast or over on Twitter at Gotham TV podcast, you will have noticed that we went to see the big movie of the week, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Finally got to see the movie, uh, but we're going to quickly talk about it. Non-spoilery this time, because we know it's only just come out this weekend, so we're not going to talk about any spoilers for the uh, for the movie. Uh, but just a quick discussion to begin with. John, what did you think of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice? I really liked it. I thought it was a really good action film. I went in with expectations somewhat muffled, I would say, okay. by some of the uh, negative press. I mean, we're seeing lots of stuff about where it is at on Rotten Tomatoes. What I would say to everyone is ignore that. Um, and go in and watch it. It is a great comic book movie. It's dark, darker than you would get with Marvel. Um, it's a great action movie. It is setting up um, the wider DC universe for the films to come. It introduces um, some of these characters throughout in a really nice way. Um, so it opens up people to the wider DC universe and, and the characters that inhabit that. There's a really good story there are things such as ben affleck's portrayal of batman and um jesse eisenberg's portrayal of lex luther which i really really enjoyed here mm-hmm. um visually stunning as always from Zack snyder i mean he really has a certain aesthetic which i don't mind personally um but for me at its heart a really good movie great action a really good story that motors along a lot of stuff in it, it is jam-packed, absolutely. It's really busy. And, okay, you could argue there are certain elements of character that don't get developed as well as they could have done, but this is the equivalent of um, the first Avengers movie, uh, Avengers Assemble, as it was known uh, over here in uh, Ireland and the UK. Um, you know, DC are kind of doing it in reverse in that sense. Mm-hmm. Rather than setting up the individual characters with their own movies, they've introduced... Um, three of them in detail here and introduced another three in, in as very much, um, very quick cameos, really, in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and not direct cameos within the story or plot of this movie so much. So, um, really, really good. Definitely worth a visit. Sit back, relax, enjoy and let the action 
uh, wash over you. You know, some great fight scenes in this uh, as well. Mm-hmm. And Henry Cavill, really good as Superman, really carries it through from Man of Steel, definitely. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Loved the addition of Wonder Woman in here. Uh, Gal Gadot does a great job in here. Amy Adams is really good in this as well as Lois Lane, I must say. A lot of the good supporting actors in there. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything about the film at all, obviously, because I know it's uh, it's going to be seen by a lot of people. But if you enjoy Gotham uh, and you enjoy that type of, of uh, version of the Batman universe, there's a lot in there for you. Um, this is a reinvention of Batman. So the one thing I've been kind of saying to people who've been asking me about whether I liked it or not was, if you go in there expecting Christopher Nolan's Batman, uh, you're not going to get it. No. Uh, this is a new Batman for a new DC universe leading up to the Justice League. Uh, it's a very different version of the Batman that we've seen before. He's a much older Batman, much wiser Batman, and very different from Christian Bale's portrayal. I've also described it as much more of a comic book film than those Nolan films have been in the past. Um, what I mean by that is there are characters and situations that are in there that you never would have seen in the realistic take or the slightly heightened world that uh, Christopher Nolan gives you. But we've seen a lot of those kind of characters on Gotham, on the TV show. We've seen some more of those types of characters on Gotham than we would have seen in the movies before. So I think you'll enjoy it if you're a Gotham fan. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, you know one of the other really interesting things about the film is it expands not only the universe of the characters, but it places Metropolis and Gotham uh, within the same area as well, which mm-hmm. I found really good. And, I mean, you have to feel for... Um, Gotham having a slightly um, aloof uh, cousin in Metropolis looking down its nose at the the grim and crimey <laughs> world of Gotham. Yeah. But at the same time, Metropolis, again, poor Metropolis. Um, not only has it gotten over one uh, devastating battle that occurred uh, in the city, but another one uh, comes around just to wreck that that final repair work that had just been carried out <laughs> on the city. So, um, you know, that's another interesting thing. It, play, it places these iconic cities, um, which are just as much a part of the characters that inhabit them, such as Batman with Gotham and also Metropolis with yeah. Superman. So really just interesting in that. Um, it is always, it is very interesting, isn't it? I, I always would have thought that, um, that Gotham was kind of New York and in a way Metropolis was kind of a mix of Washington and, um, and LA really. So very different sides of the country really in America, basically. But obviously DC doesn't stick to uh, geography in the real world. It has its own city names. Um, it is interesting that they're basically across a bay from each other in this film. So that's quite, yeah, that's, it, that's, quite that's different. That was the thing that really struck me is that they are separated by a body of water and mm-hmm. that is it a, a bay so yeah. re- it's kind of interesting from that perspective as well but anyway we will cover Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice in a future episode we want to make sure that people have seen uh, the movie before uh, before we spoil anything about it and there's lots of spoilers for uh, for things that will happen in it but if you do go out and see it we'd love to hear your thoughts so we can share them on that episode all you need to do is just join our Facebook group as I mentioned earlier on facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV podcast you can pop your feedback in there or you can email us directly at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com if you want to share more spoilery feedback and don't want to spoil anybody else like we don't want to uh, we'll uh, be able to discuss on the episode and come and, and talk through your points as well and you can send us um, some brief thoughts on Twitter as well at Gotham TV Podcast. And of course, you can listen uh, to these thoughts of ourselves and other people. Just go to gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes, subscribe and, and leave a review there for us. 
or go to any other good podcast catcher such as Beyond Pod, Podcast Addict, Player FM or Stitcher. Just search Gotham TV Podcast and subscribe to us there um, and you'll be able to pick up each of our reviews of Gotham on a weekly basis and also then some of these special podcasts that we have as we review Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice which should be reviewed in a few weeks time. Yeah, so my last word on it is forget about what you're hearing. A lot of Twitter comments that are saying they don't like this film. A lot of the real reviewers that are out there, the kind of trustworthy sites that you'd see, they're generally giving it kind of a three. Um, three or four. Three or four, some of them, you know. Uh, this isn't a movie for everybody. It is. It does have a lot in it for comic book fans particularly, uh, and a lot of very different takes on the character. So I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, go see it. Forget about what the critics say. Not like I need to tell you. If you're a Gotham fan or a Batman fan, you've probably already seen it, but uh, we don't want to spoil anything for you. Just to mention, uh, there is a bit of news that came out about Gotham in the UK. Uh, we are on episode 11, which is what we're recording today. We'll have episode 12 airing in the UK and Ireland on the 28th of March. Uh, and then there will be a break for one week um, due to a special airing on Channel 5, which is happening at the time that Gotham is normally being broadcast in. So we will have a one-week break, which is where we might fit in our Batman v Superman review. Um, could, could be out that week. Just want to make sure we get the timings right. But just so you're aware, we won't. We will have uh, episode 11, which is this one, episode 12, and then a break, and then episode 13 will be the week after that. So just so you as the listener are aware of that. I think with that, it's time to kick in to this week's discussion about Gotham. Yeah, Derek, um, what do we have from the production side? <laughs> this week's episode was directed by one of the most uh, probably prolific directors for Gotham. We have Jeffrey Hunt, uh, who's done five episodes, I believe, of the of Gotham so far. Uh, the last episode he directed was season two, episode eight. Uh, and he also directed Blind Fortune Teller, which was written by this week's writer, uh, Bruno Heller, the showrunner and writer and developer of Gotham uh, wrote this episode, which was originally the season finale uh, in the US, so the mid-season finale, I suppose, uh, around Christmas time in the US. Um, Bruno Heller has written this one. I was actually wondering where Bruno Heller had kind of disappeared to it. The show had seemed to have uh, taken over a lot of other writers for the last couple of episodes. You probably heard at the beginning of our episodes. Uh, Bruno Heller seems to do the first and last episode at least of the season, and maybe one or two in the middle, uh, to keep the, his kind of vision alive within the show. John, do you want to tell us what he gave us for the end of the first half of the season? Sure. The Galvans are after the Waynes and their associates as Tabitha hunts down Alfred, so Theo abducts Bruce from Wayne Manor, holding him prisoner until midnight and the time of his sacrifice to cleanse Gotham and restore the family name of Dumas. Meanwhile, James Gordon wakes up, a fugitive from the law, in an unexpected place and turns to an unexpected and dangerous allies for assistance in tracking down Galavan and Bruce Wayne. Despite Leslie Tompkins' failed intervention to try and persuade him to stop his obsessive pursuit of Galavan. Jim and Harvey Bullock team up with Penguin and his gang, Alfred, Selina Kyle, Nigma, and Lucius Fox, and move on Galavan's residence where the Order of Saint Dumas is defeated. In the ensuing fallout, Tabitha and Silver St. Cloud begin to make their escape, leaving Theo at the harsh, harsh mercy of Cobblepot and Gordon, who take Theo to the docks and murder him by bat, by gun, and finally by umbrella. <laughs> With the Galavan seemingly finished as a force in Gotham, Jim proposes to Leslie to make amends, just as another corpse is delivered to Indian Hill. In post-credits, a new, dangerously cool villain is seen on the attack in the alleyways of Gotham. Wow. So, I mean, for me, this was like a huge um, sort of 
mid-season finale, I suppose, for the US. It was filled again with loads of different stuff. I also found this actually a really funny uh, episode as well. I found myself chuckling a lot um, throughout the whole of this episode. Certainly. Um, various nods to things with Silver St. Cloud, with Harvey Bullock. Um, just really, really interesting uh, episode. Um, and I, I must say, I really kind of liked it in the end it took me a while to kind of come round to that um but it certainly had a lot of different elements going on which i think uh, bruno heller always seems to really fill out his episodes mm-hmm. and he really um has a lot going on in them and so it takes certainly a special skill to to manage all those different uh, arcs plot lines bringing together the first half of the season whilst also um, maybe leaving some intrigue um, and developments in in the relationships that are going on um, for the remainder of the season, which is another 11 episodes, a full 22 in all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really like this episode, I have to say. Halfway through, I was wondering about it, but it really started to get cooking, I think, towards the end, and I really like that. Certainly, certainly. The, uh, the introduction of the big gang of all of our uh, semi-heroes, I suppose you'd call them, uh, all working together was a really good twist in this episode, a really good change up uh, for the episode. Uh, I like having everybody working in the same way, uh, everybody on screen at the same time is really cool. It's a, it's a nice little touch and a great way to finish out these first 11 episodes. Really, really enjoyed that. Definitely. I think... Um on our uh, sister podcast, Defenders TV podcast, uh, where we look at Marvel's TV shows and um, in Agent Carter, we had another similar sort of um, team up of, of all the heroes and, and associates there. I think I call it the Magnificent Five. And I think here we can really say there is almost a, if not a Magnificent Seven going on. Again, mm-hmm. it's really good having these kind of moments where all these people come together, whether they're on the same side of the fence or different sides of the fence, to um, combat a common enemy. Uh, so this was really, really good, definitely. Right. Yeah. Well, enough of the rabbit rabbit. Let's get rid of the bunny and start talking about this episode. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, uh, we do talk about the episode slightly differently than a lot of the other podcasts that are out there. We talk about our top five points about the episode. Some good, some bad. Try to find a Batman 66 connection a bullockism of the week, and maybe some other Batman-related versions. There's definitely a few in here, I think, this time. John, do you want to kick us off with your first point about this episode? Yeah, I my first point has to be poor, poor Alfred. Um, <laughs> he is absolutely put through his paces, uh, put through the mill here. Um, you know, we left him in episode 10, where Tabitha had just knifed him, thrown a knife at him uh it right into the back and he falls into a dumpster truck and mm-hmm. um, we have that he's still on the run from tabitha in this episode and he's running around the tip where he's obviously uh, been dropped off and he's falling amongst all the refuse he gets himself into a fridge to escape tabitha and then is covered um in a load more rubbish uh, that's tipped over the the fridge and um, there's the zombie moment where his hand sticks out from uh <laughs> the the rubbish which again you know he then goes to make his escape tries to uh take a car he's very polite about it which i thought was really funny mm-hmm. um but he gets tasered uh by the gcpd <laughs> and then gets locked up at the gcpd precinct and then finally to top it all off um he is found to be to be there by Captain Barnes, uh, after Lucius Fox has come in asking for the whereabouts of Bruce Wayne and Alfred Pennyworth. 
And he gets a bucket of water thrown all over him. Oh, so yeah. he's bruised, battered, scarred, um, but he's still holding his dignity and his decorum there uh, as Alfred would do. And I just thought it was a really good little movement of, of Alfred through this episode where, yeah. Um, yeah, he's had everything literally thrown at him, dumped on him, uh, chucked over him and... He's still there fighting for Bruce, uh, fighting to get the job done. Um, he is a driven, driven butler. Absolutely. I think over the first 33 episodes where we are now, we've asked many times for Alfred to leave the safety of uh, Wayne Manor and get out into the world of Gotham. I have a feeling after this episode, he's probably going to become a, a recluse again and, uh, and lock Bruce <laughs> yeah. inside. Do you know what happens a, every time we go out? Something happens to me. It's yeah. a dangerous world out there. Uh-huh. Um, but I love the moment where, like, the connection between uh, Bullock and Alfred from season one, where they teamed up briefly. uh, And we have that again in the precinct after he's been released. Mm -hmm. And you see the, the look in Bullock's eyes as he realizes, you know, this is a guy I can work with. He's my other partner, if you will. Um, You know, Alfred asks for a gun. Harvey goes, I can get your guns. Uh Um, You know, he really wants to work with him to go on the hunt for Jim and Galavan and to get Bruce Wayne. Really like that moment where they kind of team up with Lucius Fox there. Um, really good. Yeah, yeah, definitely really like it and I really enjoyed seeing poor Alfred uh, under under a lot of stress. I like that he uh, he does actually take a guy, throw him out of his car and the guy says to him, I really need to get to work, what are you doing? And he says... I'm sorry, I'm under terrible pressure. I need to get, I need to get to where I'm going. Uh, love how polite he is. Love us. Really, yeah, really good. Really good. Really yeah. good. Derek, what's your kickoff point? Uh, my first point is Silver and Bruce. This is a big one for the episode, really. I'm sure it's probably in your points as well, John. Um, Lots going on here, and I have to say I really, really enjoyed Natalie and Lynn's performance in this episode. Uh, there's certainly scenes in this whole plan that she has where you feel really sorry for her. You know that Galavan, because of the opening scene, he's the one that's forcing her to try and make Bruce fall back in love with her. Um, but there's certainly moments where I believed that she was actually trying to help Bruce here as well. Um, the moment where she tries to escape with Bruce, despite being caught within about 30 seconds, <laughs> does feel like she is trying to help Bruce out. Definitely. You know, yeah. they've had that conversation. She just kind of says, I don't care what, he, what he's asked me to do. I'm going to help you out here. But Bruce doesn't fall for it at all, which I really like as well. Um, Bruce, all the way throughout this episode, is the proper stoic Bruce Wayne that we've known. He's a calculating, honest, and intelligent character who knows that she's just trying to play him. He's He has listened to the advice given to him by Alfred and by Selina by effectively saying to Silver St. Cloud, I don't love you. I don't feel anything for you except pity. Um, that's That makes him a much better character than he would have been if he was just playing the 13-year-old kid or the 14-year-old kid who was falling for this girl and believing everything she said to him, you know? It does give you that good sense of who Bruce Wayne is, you know, uh, which I really liked. Uh, I also like the fact that Silver is actually the one that saves him in the end. Absolutely, yeah. He, I was he, just going to say, yeah, yeah. He certainly would be dead if she didn't yell out. Um, and it just happened that everybody else arrived at the same time, which is great, but if she hadn't caught, yelled out at the time, the priest would have would have slit Bruce's throat. So Bruce's plan actually did work to get himself freed, which I thought was quite good. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this this was a really um, 
interesting test that Galavan sets for for uh, Silver St. Cloud. And I mean, really, you know, she's um, a cowering, bullied girl by, mm-hmm. by Galavan. I mean, he makes the point, well, there's plenty of other uh, ladies with the Dumar bloodline who uh, I can choose to to take over your role if you fail this test. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it's that moment where he's absolutely proud that she's managed to get, or seemingly managed to get Bruce to, to give her a kiss and say that he loves her, yet at the same time, after the the plan of Bruce's sacrifice is disrupted, I mean, he turns on it, absolutely. And um, I suppose this kind of leads on to uh, my next point, which okay. is that the two girls, Tabitha and Silver St. Cloud, uh, look after each other, look after number one, primarily Tabitha. We saw it earlier on in, in the episode where, you know, she really starts to to challenge uh, Galavan. She, th- th- there's like a, 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 a simmering kind of past or, or seething kind of past between these two siblings yeah. that we still aren't clear about. I mean, she, she does go, without all this money and power, what are you? But a sad little, and she's cut off by him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's re- that's really interesting. But I love that ultimately she says, enough is enough. She comes to the defense of Silver St. Cloud, um, or as I would like to say, after this uh, parachute out of, of the window, or should I say push, is that she's silver sent to the clouds. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a Batman 66 moment. Definitely. Absolutely. Parachutes from the top floor of a high-rise apartment block, Galavan's tower, um, and she just gets pushed out of the window by Tabitha really nonchalantly to, you know, you hear the scream <laughs> and it's just really good. But I love the fact that the ladies stick together here. Really, really good. Yeah, I was, when I was live tweeting this on Monday night, when it was on channel five, I must have looked away for that second. I'm usually pretty good at keeping my eye on the, uh, on the show. I didn't realize that Tabitha had actually given Silver a parachute and thought she'd been thrown out the window by her aunt, you know? And um, it is quite interesting though. It's a hilarious moment. I must say that it was really, <laughs> it's really, really good. funny, but, um, I will say the conversation that Tabitha does have with uh, with Theo, uh, she does say to him, I've known you for a long, long time. I know all about you without all this money, as you, as you say, as the line that you've quoted. What I find interesting about that is not once throughout the series so far, if I remember correctly, has Silver called Tabitha her aunt. And I'm wondering, I think we had the question before as to whether Tabitha and Theo are genuinely related or whether this is all part of the plan that effectively Theo's given all the money to go to the city. He's given his bodyguard, which is Tabitha, uh, and the backstory that's created for them is that they are the Galavans and they are brother and sister. Um, Whether there is any connection between the two of them at all on any kind of bloodline, they may be Dumas, but they may not be um, genuinely brother and sister, maybe brother and sister in the order. Um, but this particular line from Tabitha made it stand out as if uh, there is no connection between the two of them, that gen- genuinely they're not, uh, they didn't grow up together or anything like that, that they may just be uh, members of the order that are called brother and sister for this plan. And um, that's what I thought was interesting. About yeah, that. no, absolutely. It really immediately shows a gaping split and wound between the two here. And that, yeah, I mean, I had the same kind of thought. All of a sudden, they look less like siblings and more like partners together, mm-hmm. um, of which now that has come to an end Absolutely. because he is... He is completely going beyond the maybe the script really for for what Tabitha understands it, mm-hmm. and, and has really started to be threatening and bullying to both of them. 
Yeah. And I love how controlling Theo has been for the last couple of episodes and how much he hates her nonchalantness. Uh, I, it's one of the things I've really liked about Tabitha's character the whole time. She always seems like she's sashaying in and out of a, in and out of a situation, being really confident and really strong. But she doesn't seem to really care as much as the rest of the Order of Saint Dumas. Um, you know, she leaves Alfred, uh, can't find him, comes back, doesn't seem to have a problem with it. You know, Galavan seems to think this is the worst thing possible. You've left someone alive that we should have killed here. Uh, that's all part of his plan. Doesn't seem to be part of her plan, though, which I think is interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm wondering how she got into this position, you know, uh, since she doesn't seem to really care that much about it and has now jumped out of the window with a parachute. And I think that's what allowed her to make that leap, uh, so to speak, um, to to get away from Galavan. You know, you're on your own now. We're off. Pushes Silver out of the the window uh, and follows her quickly. And those two make their escape. Um, uh-huh. So they're still they're still on the run. They they've literally gone. Uh, sh- they're in the wind, um, going somewhere. Hopefully, the wind doesn't take them out to uh, a large electrical pylon, so to speak. And <laughs> um, otherwise, that Silver and uh, and Tabitha fried beyond recognition. So. Um, yeah, really interesting to see uh-huh. how or if or were they show up um, maybe in the second half of season two. Yeah, absolutely. But love, love to see them back. I've really enjoyed Jessica Lucas and definitely for this episode, uh, if there's one thing that I really got this episode and last episode is Natalie Ann Lind. Uh, it was great in this part and really, really enjoyed her. From one funny moment uh, to my next point, which is my Bullockism of the week. <laughs> uh, absolutely adored seeing Harvey Bullock back and seeing him as part of the team uh, who are going in to take out the Order of St. Dumas. But his moment as he arrives at the location at Galavan Towers, they look up the stairs and you can see it already on his face at the bottom of the stairs when he looks <laughs> up. He's kind of going, okay, I hope there's a lift here. Uh, he gets about halfway up the stairs and you hear him out of breath going, um, this is really high. Uh uh, just give me a second. And then the whole battle <laughs> happens with the Order of St. Dumas, where they're all caught, shot and all killed and all beaten, except for one last guy who... The head who, monk. The head monk, effectively, who uh, Bullock shoots and then goes, sorry, there was a lot of stairs, which I love, because... <laughs> This is Harvey Bullock. This is the guy. He's not a member of the of the uh, elite forces that seem to be people like um, Jim Gordon, obviously, and Alfred. He's never been that guy, uh, but he seems to have been uh, brought in as part of this strike force to take out uh, take out, out the Order of Dumas. So I love the, the Bullockism because it is so Harvey Bullock. It's, yeah, it was really good, really funny, great timing. Um, like, I mean... When I was looking at the the episode, I just went, wow, look at that lovely looking staircase. I mean, it was so intricate. It was lovely and colourful. I mean, I just had that immediate thought when the camera pans up to show this like really intricate, mm. uh, colourful staircase. Beautiful and then it just pans to, to Harvey Bullock's face. He's like going, <laughs> like, oh my God, I've got to get up there. And I would like... But Harvey Bullock doesn't seem to think it's a nice staircase because he's got to struggle all the way up to the top. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely love that. Perfect comic timing. Um, you know, just like the Western, just in the nick of time, he comes over the hill to save, um, essentially Jim Gordon uh, as he kills head monk, um, of the Order of St. Dumas. Uh-huh. Really good. Yeah. yeah loved yeah. it. Excellent. Uh, John, do you want to give us your next point? Yeah, I really enjoyed Leslie's kind of, in quotes, really moment, um, <laughs> as, as Jim is like just going on and on about his obsession with Galavan. I mean, it was like, 
really? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Um, are you still doing this? You know, she goes there to persuade him to, to, um, hand himself in. And the interesting thing here, he actually is a man on the run. He's a fugitive from the law. There's wanted posters. And she has a conversation with Captain Barnes where, you know, do you really know your, um, your boyfriend? Do you really know Jim Gordon? Um, you know, he's saying he's two officers found dead. He, he's, he's on the run. He assaulted Theo Gallivan at the courthouse. And he seems more and more manically are obsessive about this man and there's no proof so far um you know he's after the mayor so like jim really felt like he is a, a nut that is cracked here mm-hmm. um and and leslie has this kind of deep moment where she's she's you can see her sigh and just turn away and she moves into she she moves to to the steering wheel of the vehicle that her and Jim were going to leave, uh, and Jim has been persuaded not to, mm-hmm. um, because Bruce is also missing, and um, and the whole team of Harvey, Alfred, and Lucius have arrived um, and are speaking with Penguin, mm-hmm. and she's convinced him to to leave this all behind, to not get back into bed, so to speak, with Oswald Cobblepot, and. Um, because she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then again, at the last moment, he chooses the job over her. And that there is that moment where I'm going, is this the end of Leslie and Jim? Does she think it will ever change? And, um, you know, she goes, after this is over, we, and she kind of corrects herself and she goes, tell me when it's finished and we'll talk then. Yeah. But in her mind, is she thinking, will this ever finish? Mm-hmm. Um, is he always going to be ultimately married to the job? Um, rather than, as we find out at the end, married to her. But I loved that moment. I loved it where she just really seems to kind of give up. You really spot it on, on, on her face. And I think that this could be really the start of the end for, for this couple. Yeah. And, yeah, it and, is, in, it is interesting, isn't it? As all of the gang arrive, uh, Harvey, as you say, um, Alfred and Lucius, as they arrive, you can see her just going, Oh, here we go again. She doesn't even wait for the explanation from Jim that, that it's Bruce that's been taken. Um, she hears him say it, I'm sure, but she's already made up her mind that she's leaving regardless. She doesn't want to be put in harm's way again, like she has been so often. Um, I, I like it really, really good. Yeah, I did. I thought it was very good. And of course, we get the whole thing at the end, which is, you know, is it to make a decent lady of her, so to speak, because she's pregnant? Mm. And I don't know whether that's kind of, the thing in the world of Gotham, or is it to make amends for the fact that, you know, he was at the one minute going after Galavant, then she persuaded him otherwise, and then, you know, went back with Penguin. You know, who is he choosing? But he proposes to her, and we've not heard an answer. Yeah, we never hear an so, answer from her, yeah. Uh, we know what happens when Jim proposes to, to ladies, and <laughs> they, they go, go off the deep end. They go crazy babs. <laughs> um, so maybe... Leslie Tompkins is starting to just view Jim very differently. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting again as well then how this all plays out. And I think just quickly, that really is one of the great things I think about the way Bruno Heller uh, writes these episodes. He does pile on a lot of intrigue uh, for the next half of the season. Mm-hmm. He leaves a lot of stuff available for conjecture, theory, ready for the second half of the season. Yeah. 
one of the other good things about that point is that in real life, Ben McKenzie and Marina Bakaran are now dating and they now have had their first child. So obviously a really good way to bring her pregnancy into the show is obviously uh, being able to use around her being pregnant at the time when it was being filmed is really good as well, you know? Yeah, and I just want to kind of quickly move to another point that I've got um with Jim. Mm. Like Jim has huge amounts of complex um, and divisive relationships. Um, and we have this complex relationship here with Leslie, but also um, the, the tangled complex relationships were all came um, to the fore in, in Galavan's penthouse, where you have uh, Jim and Captain Barnes, uh, Jim and Galavan and Jim and Penguin, mm-hmm. all these different relationships and um, with with penguin it's secrecy with galavan it's a contempt and with captain barnes it's essentially keeping him in the dark about maybe who he actually is or or there is this mutual respect but it, it's not necessarily always borne out by the actions that yeah. jim takes and um, in contradiction and defiance of captain barnes and like you know I, that's what i mean i i think jim is being um really conflicted by Gotham, the world that he finds himself in, where he has to make these choices between right and wrong. And he's increasingly taking uh, wrong decisions from a from a law enforcement point of view. Uh, but some of them, he views them as being right because more people survive because of it. Mm. Because when he does the right thing, like we see with Officer Parks, they end up dead. Like, And this is all starting to really mess with Jim Gordon. Like you can see he has to battle with um listening to Captain Barnes, possibly shooting Galavan there and then as he realizes that Galavan could easily get off again. And then thankfully that choice is taken away by Penguin knocking out Barnes and, and the, the officer there. Mm. But then Jim goes with Penguin. And like these all these relationships are so, so complex and tangled for Jim. Yeah. And I'm wondering how he's gonna uh, extradite himself from all of these especially now with Captain Barnes. That was the one thing with him having this hookup with Leslie in the park afterwards. Is he still on the run? Does Mm -hmm. Captain Barnes still think that he's a fugitive or has off camera that all been smoothed out? Again, another thing set up for the second half of the season. So, like, I loved how all these complex notions of Jim Gordon came together in Mm. this episode as well. It's interesting. That kind of takes me on to my negative point, I suppose, for this episode. One of the things that I found really odd about the episode is that it's trying to tell us that Jim's trying to make a moral decision as to whether to shoot Galavan or not. Yet they broke in to the Galavan residence to save Bruce and killed probably 10, 15 people with shotguns. You know, they shoot them. They don't hit them over the head. They don't knock them all out. They all come in with shotguns and blast them and kill them all all these people yet we're still supposed to feel that jim has a moral conundrum over killing one other person is it because galavan's more important is that why you shouldn't kill him um it's still a moral decision to murder somebody the fact the fact that the show has, has allowed jim to murder possibly three or four himself along with oswald killing a few and alfred killing a few uh, and we're still supposed to 
feel like it's a moral decision at the end of the episode that he kills Galavan or not. He's a murderer, regardless of whether he killed Galavan at the end of the episode. Um, and I thought that was a bit of a weird decision for the show. It was one of my negatives for it. Uh, I do understand that you do have to have the face-off between one gang and the other, effectively, which is what they came down to. It did kind of feel like that um, one order, the order dressed up in their uniforms versus um, the, the good guys dressed up in their uniforms. But they did slaughter quite a few people there, you know? No, absolutely. And I, I, I would agree with you. I mean, we've had this conversation before where Jim's motives get increasingly sort of... Um, a bit strange for the show. Mm. Um, you're supposed to still root for him and, and his ethical outlook, yet he keeps making these poor decisions and ones which, quite frankly, become increasingly immoral. And I think here, as you say, um, there's no difference from killing um, all the monks there uh, as opposed to uh, having the battle with his conscience o- over Galavan. Yeah. Maybe it's simply because... The monks do charge at them after that slight face-off, so off they go. Maybe it's because, irrespective of whether there's Jim and Harvey Bullock there, there, there is also a huge crime lord there in Penguin mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and his gang. So it, it's that heady mix as well of the criminal element and the, the GCPD. And I think that's the other element of this. He's quick to get into bed with with Oswald Cobblepots, even at the expense of the advice from Leslie to prove and show his innocence to Captain Barnes and then having to say that she's pregnant, you know, almost a bit like a um, an emotional bribe that she has to do. He's still willing to take that risk to do something moral, but to do immoral stuff to get there. Like, the... His means to the end yeah. are, are really just poor choices. Um, and maybe increasingly are, are not, they're becoming more suspect, I think, um, which has to still be addressed, as you yeah. say, but by the show. I still think I'm on Jim's side overall. I do think I'm on Jim's side, but I, th- I just find it weird that, that it feels like we're being asked to almost care about his decision on whether he kills Galavan or not when he has just murdered two other people and nothing was mentioned about it. That's that's all I mean, I suppose. It's almost like as a as a soldier in in the army, you kill the other soldiers, but you can't kill a commander or else there's something morally wrong about it, is the way it looked in the episode. That's that's why it's a negative about the episode. It's not even taking it out of the out of the show to try and dissect whether it's a good or bad thing. It just felt like the wrong decision of the show to have Maybe even just not have Jim involved. He doesn't pull the trigger at all. Now, I've only seen the episode for uh, for this review and only uh, I'm writing my notes, so maybe I need to watch it again. But I do believe that Jim pulls the trigger uh, and definitely kills one or two people when he's in there. He pulls the trigger when he comes in and, and shoots a few of them, and all of them are on the ground when it cuts back to them. Um, so I'm presuming that Jim did kill a few people there. So so maybe I've got that wrong, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I do believe he does kill a couple of people and then we have the moral choice at the end. If he hadn't killed anybody, if he was the last one to arrive in the room and it was Oswald and his gang that had murdered everybody and Harvey saved him by shooting somebody, then I wouldn't feel that it was it was a weird scene. But having him, having him kill somebody and then have the moral choice later on felt a bit weird, that's all. Yeah, but I, I think it's what we've said before. Jim's moral speeches that he gives to other people come across less and less meaningful and more and more hollow the more he um has these kind of moments right. i mean it's even that the the choice of 
you know, he, he, Captain Barnes is having to sort of take him down off the ledge almost from, to stop him from killing Galavan. Mm-hmm. He does that. Um, so it shows that that respect, you know, these relations, as I'm saying, it's one of the good things I liked about it. The relationships were really worked and the conflict and, and, um, contradictions between them, I thought really worked. But having said that, it does go back to earlier points. I think that I've made what you've said here, which is, um, yeah, you, you have to start sending Jim down a particular path. And um, because at the moment, th- this is just flip flapping between him being a moral, um, center of the show and then seemingly without any care or reason going against his moral code at the start. And it, it, it does become, okay, then like, so what are we supposed to believe here? Is it just that? essentially do exactly whatever you want, which is exactly what the criminals do. And I mm. think, um, you know, I think we have to start seeing this repercussion here. Maybe it's Leslie leaving him. Maybe it's Captain Barnes really bringing him to task mm-hmm. that he starts about now uh, on another path um, to what we would expect from uh, some of the comics, which is he has a strong focus for morality yeah yeah like i i I totally see that this is a dark path for for jim that he's taking i totally see that and i hope that that is where the story is taking his character you know i really do want to see him fight that darkness as well that's a that's definitely a good choice uh but that was just my one negative about the episode john do you have another point yeah i mean moving very much onto that galavan is dead Mm -hmm. um and we see a brutal beat down by the penguin that is understandable he has lost his mother to um, Galavan's instructions. Mm-hmm. Um, poor Gertrude Capelput stabbed in the, and knifed in the back. Um, so really brutal. And, you know, Galavan pleading, kill me. So we see then here Jim Gordon step up and take the shot. And mm-hmm. is it sympathy, not sympathy, but is it putting down a wounded animal, so to speak, in Galavan here? Or is it his... as? I've mentioned, you know, his obsession with taking down Galavan. Is it mm. still that conflict? Uh, what way is that falling? But again, equally shocking that Jim sort of takes uh, Galavan down to the docks and murders him in um, cahoots with Penguin. I love the moment as well where uh, Jim battling uh, with with the decision maybe that he's made, which I like. I thought that was really good. Um but we see Penguin go into the boot and, and pick out an umbrella um, and nonchalantly kind of look at it and walk, you know, behind Jim uh, across camera mm-hmm. and, and go off. I assumed probably just to stab Galavan a bit more. It was, you know, one of the, the knife umbrellas or something. Galavan is dead and he ends up in Indian Hill with the the umbrella shoved unceremoniously down his throat, uh-huh. um, which I believe the scientist at Indian Hill says, that's unusual. Um, <laughs> but we do hear from from this scene that um, it is Professor Strange who will be working on him and has such high hopes for this one. Mm-hmm. So Not Doctor Strange, unfortunately, John. Not, no, not Doctor <laughs> Strange. Um, yet yeah, Professor Hugo Strange, uh-huh. uh, not Doctor Stephen Strange from Marvel. Mm-hmm. But remember, uh, as with our Defenders TV podcast, Gotham TV podcast is leading all the way to the Doctor Strange movie in October <laughs> of this year. Um, released 28th of October in UK 
and I won't. We'll be there, definitely. Um, but anyway, moving on, we see and hear the reference to Hugo Strange, who will be working on Galavan, that he has hopes for him. Um, so what does that mean? Will Galavan be uh, reincarnated in some form? That would be interesting. But also, do we see the uh, wicked highlights of Fish Mooney Oh, here. that looked so like it, didn't it? It really, yeah. really did, and I'm hoping that it is. It did look like some kind of cryogenic tube that she's being stored in, acting like a Bacta tank from uh, from Star Wars, to be honest, uh, that she's floating in. But yeah, it'd be fascinating to see if this is where we get our reintroduction of Fish Mooney. Uh, and will we see Galavan back in the future? Um, you know, really, really amazing that they killed him off uh, in this episode, uh, it does look quite uh, definitive death death for the character, uh, as you say. He was uh, um, beaten with a bat, shot, and then an umbrella stuffed inside him. So, um, you know, it could be uh, the new man, Umbrella Boy. Is that, yeah. is that is? <laughs> the character in the DC Universe? I don't think so. <laughs> I dread to think what Cobblebot shoved up his behind. <laughs> um, with the contempt that he has for him, I am sure there is probably something sticking out uh, from behind. <laughs> Maybe you found another umbrella in the car, <laughs> possibly. Um, but that does that does bring me on to my final point. Is just because it's Bruno Heller, uh, just his kind of callbacks to his to season one, the characters he created, that kind of stuff. Uh, I like the fact that it is uh, Oswald that takes out Galavan with a ba- baseball bat. Um, beating him on the ground, very much like our introduction to Oswald Cobblepot uh, in the first season, and to Drew Pell's uh, Butch Gilzean, in fact, uh, when they're beating a, a, a guy outside of Fish Mooney's bar with a Absolutely. bat. Liked that. Love the fact that he brings back the umbrella again. Uh, Oswald Cobblepot was the umbrella boy for Fish Mooney, so a nice little touch there that he's still using the umbrellas and now, I think for the first time, using one as a weapon, which is a, which is a trait that the Penguin in the comic books has quite a lot. Uh, love those kind of elements that, that Bruno Heller is bringing in to give us the callbacks to uh, his season one characters and where it all began, I suppose. Also, there's the reference from Oswald to to Jim of being old friends. That's what friends are for. Absolutely. You know, yeah. the relationship of the two of those characters starting on the docks of Gotham City in season one. Loads of nice references here really to tie good. it back through these 33 episodes. Absolutely. And uh, we also see Trident International Shipping, uh, a poster, a big poster emblazoned uh, by, by the railway line there um, in one of the scenes. And that comes from season one as well. I mm-hmm. think uh, episode, episode, two, episode two. Yeah. Um, which is uh, really, really good to see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've got through lines now coming through with Indian Hill. Uh, another point is, you know, finally the hard drive is fixed. We see Lucius come out um, from behind the the fireplace, mm-hmm. uh, really um, saying the hard drive is fixed. What are we going to see uh, on the hard drive? Again, more intrigue for the remaining episodes of, of this season. And of course, this is where Lucius gets involved in this episode. And I really like Lucius Fox. Um, I think Chris Chalk, who plays him, is really good. I loved how he interacted with all the other members of the cast really good in particular with the riddler oh yeah um, that was superb i think the riddler may have met his match with regards to intellect uh, and uh decoding uh riddles 
I love the fact that Lucius Fox just gets the riddle immediately, despite Alfred kind of going, what? Yeah. Um, what and are you talking about? As usual. Yeah. Um, <laughs> really liked it. And you can see the look in Riddler kind of going, okay, um, here's someone I have to uh, be wary about. Uh, really like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In fact, his response directly to him is, who are you? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's met his match completely. I love that for Lucius Fox, it's not even a riddle. This is just, it's almost as if, well, that's the way the guy speaks. It's like a language that he understands naturally, um, which I loved. It's He's trying to give them a riddle and trying to give them a clue as to possibly where Jim is. But Lucius Fox gets it instantly and translates it immediately into your who's home, your home, um, which is fantastic. I love that he's so much on that wavelength. And it's the second uh, riddle of the episode. We have um, his first riddle where he tells Leslie essentially that Jim is holed up in his apartment. He goes... Is your lover still alive? If so, go to Grundy 805. Mm -hmm. Um, like another little bit of, of information delivered in riddle form by Ed Nigma. Really good to see that as well. And mm -hmm. um, I loved how Ed Nigma was just kind of loitering in this episode in GCPD, overhearing little bits of information. You know, this is where I think that was a really important thing to show in this episode where, you know, he's essentially gone onto the dark side now, but he still works and is employed by the good guys. Yet he's there and he's just soaking up the information. So he can put a plan into action maybe or something cause a bit of mayhem and chaos somewhere down the line by using some of the information that he's gleaned whilst just loitering around the gcpd i kind of like that vibe that i got from ed nigma in this episode yeah yeah absolutely i think we kind of strayed a little bit into notes there but john do you have a final point about this episode i do um from fire to ice we go from firefly with bridget pike um, and here we're introduced in a post-credit sequence to Victor Fry's, uh, Mr. Freeze, um, really cool looking as he goes after an increasingly frightened, um, individual. For what reason? We don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, down one of the alleyways. And, uh, I really enjoyed the look of, uh, Mr. Freeze yeah, here. He looked pretty cool, didn't he? He looked pretty cool, it's I have to a, say. Kind of a mix of Captain Cold, uh, in the comic books and, uh, and Mr. Freeze, I think. But, um, but yeah, I like, I like how they've kind of set him up. He seems a bit kind of steampunky almost, uh, that kind yeah, of. Yeah, big time. Uh, it's a lot better than Arnie's, uh, Mr. Freeze. Ice to see you. I'd be <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it looked really cool. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a nice little bookend with the this first half of the season that we started with the Firefly, who is down in Indian Hill as well. Don't mm -hmm. forget, that's right. Uh, and now we're introduced to Victor Freeze. I think the second half of this series is called the Wrath of the Villains as well. There's kind of like a subtitle to it, so that's it'll right. be good to see. Will all Indian Hill just explode with nasty villains? Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, I've just got one note for uh, for the end of this uh, of my thoughts on the episode. I just kind of liked uh, as Bruce was asked by silver what his favorite animal was and i was totally expecting the bat but he chose the other choice which was an interesting one he chose that the l is his favorite animal why it's interesting is that l's are the natural predators of bats so i i do like that there is a little connection there uh, in the comic books we've talked about it many times before the court of l's is one of the big storylines in the comic books which is where some of this uh, this season has been taken from so i do like that bruno heller is kind of making that reference to the court of l's and the fact that bruce is aware of 
Elzen is aware of why they're interesting, and at the moment they are his favorite creature, so uh, that's quite cool. Yeah, I mean, the only nose I have is Bruce Wayne in a Jesus robe. Uh, as we hit <laughs> Easter, um, he looked uh, very religious, very Jesus Christ, messianic um, mm-hmm. version of Bruce Wayne. Maybe maybe it is the person who has come to save Gotham. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe. Really like that. It looked very religious, very... Um, <laughs> kind of vibe to it his sacrifice certainly Um, when he's tied up to the post and there's people shouting death to the son of gotham like it does sound like death to the son of god which is exactly what you want to see at easter weekend so it couldn't have worked out better really for the for the timing for this episode Uh, overall john uh we've talked about our points we talked about our notes anything else about the episode that you thought overall no i mean i just to say that i really like this episode of gotham i thought it was a nice end as i said loads of intrigue for um the second half of the season i definitely give it four parachuting ladies uh out of five <laughs> um really good i mean i loved how jim's relationships were complex and how they all kind of came together in galavan's apartment and um, certainly i still think Jim Gordon's motives can be explored further going down this dark path. I love the fact that the intrigue of whether Leslie says yes or not, whether she even stays with him, is very much the uh, the great team-up that we had. The Magnificent Seven uh, was fantastic. Alfred... Mm-hmm. Or the Fantastic Seven. Or the Fantastic Seven. Uh, the um, Alfred um, really just getting a torrid time, but ultimately focus on one goal which is to say bruce really really good mm-hmm. indian hilda was it fish mooney or not all of these great little aspects to gotham in this episode so yeah four parachuting ladies out of five there you go so goodbye to gotham rise of the villains welcome to gotham wrath of the villains coming up in uh, episode 12 at a week's time um overall just my thoughts i haven't don't normally give a, a score to the season but i think overall for the first 11 episodes of the season i think it's been better than season one as an overarching storyline the Ga- the gallivan storyline has worked a lot better than uh than a lot of the episodes in season one which were just one or two episodes back to back that were connected uh, with a, a minor o- overarching storyline. But I'm really intrigued to see what happens in the second half of season uh, two coming up next week. Definitely. Uh, I think it's time to go on to our feedback. So our feedback this week comes from Natalie. She says, well, that was an exciting finale, lads. Started a bit slow. Thwarting a sacrificial ceremony can eat up so much airtime, but still good. Lucius is finally back and he fixed the computer in time for the second half of the season. Loved the fixed it guys, guys <laughs> moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also loved how he was the sensible and strategic one amid all those recklessness. Uh, not to mention how stunned Ed was when Lucius figured out the riddle that Ed almost reflexively uttered half to himself. Welcome to Team Bats, Mr. Fox. Some filler and comic relief was provided by Alfred's misadventures in the first half. Chased through the city dump, then tasered and woken up with a splash of cold water. The indignity of it all. Uh, so glad he suffered only relative scratches this time around and was more than able to join in the big rescue party. Bruce must be so glad to see him. Uh... That was a lovely bit of a revealing characterization between Bruce and Silver in the cell. To the writers, thank you, thank you, thank you for making Silver ultimately out to not being completely evil. Absolutely. And having enough heart to be troubled by our family's treatment of Bruce. I'm going to say that our intent in the cell was torn between being genuinely nice and apologetic to Bruce 
and the task Theo put put her to, and hoping being the former will accomplish the latter. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think I uh, did make the point uh, that there were times within this episode that I truly believed that Silver was on the side of Bruce and other times that she was genuinely trying to carry out the plan of Theo. But I really liked a really well-written part for Natalie Allen Lind. Yeah, it definitely kept you guessing all the way through. And I think that was the great thing about Silver towards the latter part of this first half of season two. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she was very much the uh, introduced uh, as the, the ward um, you know, as being under the ward of uh, Theo Gallivan. And then, you know, gradually she's shown to be embroiled in his plans, mm-hmm. but ultimately is redeemed. Yeah. And I like that here where in the cell, you're kind of going a bit like when she was um, under interrogation in the chair. Is she genuine? Is she not? Yeah. And those were sort of moving in and out of one another all the way through that. And that's a really good uh, thing to have. It Absolutely. really keeps you guessing. Yeah, completely agree uh, there, definitely. Back to Natalie, she says, On Bruce's side, kudos to him for perceiving her plight. I think he welcomed her into his cell with understandable scepticism, then sensed her inner conflict. That's another trait of the Batman we know and love, showing mercy and kindness when he finds a good person doing bad things. Bonus points for weaponizing that kindness into a dose of manipulation. In being a nice guy and allaying her guilt and then making Theo think Silver had accomplished her task, he encouraged her to act out of her heart uh, and try to do what she could to save him. How far would she have gotten if Gordon and company were a minute later than they were? Uh, yeah, definitely a good point. Meanwhile, an alliance was forged between Gordon and Penguin in an enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of way, joining forces to bring down Theo Gallivan with able and timely assistance from Alfred Bullock and Selina. Selina's Martian in a rubber suit retort to his understandable scepticism about her was extra funny given that it was thrown at the son of the beloved third doctor. Yeah, very good. I like that. Absolutely, little touch. Yeah. Lots of rubber monsters in that Doctor Who's uh, time on the show. Um, poor Lee was stuck trying to drag Gordon back from the brink. Sweet of Ed to drop her a riddle hint uh, as to where he was. The timing of her I'm pregnant bombshell makes me slightly sceptical. On the one hand, it could be employed to stop Gordon, which worked until Bull- Bullock and Alfred pu- pulled up. On the other, it's only natural that they ride it in. They punted mother candidate number one, Barbara Keane, after all, and this real-life pregnancy just fell into their laps. Uh, Gordon was going to have to start his family soonish anyway to keep in line with canon. It's uh, interesting to see uh, whether... The baby is named Barbara. Yeah. If they even say together, that is. That's true. That's true. And finally, Natalie says, forgot to mention Gordon's proposal to Lee after it was all over. Least romantic proposal ever committed to film. <laughs> <laughs> Memo to Ben McKenzie. When you propose to Marina for real, do a thousand times better than that. Thanks in advance. Love your female fans. <laughs> uh, but did you look over her shoulder? The Botanical Gardens. Wonder if that Gotham landmark will come into play and with proto-poison ivy action to boot. Lovely place for a wedding, certainly, she says. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that feedback, Natalie. Yeah, we had just one very small uh, bit of uh, feedback on Twitter during our live tweets um, of the episode uh, last week, mm-hmm. which was the skeleton in Ed Nigma's uh, apartment. Is it just an anatomical skeleton uh, for, for study, or was it maybe 
the um, dead and cleaned corpse of um, Leonard, who had been uh, attacked by both Penguin and Ed Nigma for a bit of fun in, in the previous uh, episodes. <laughs> um, it would be good to know that Leonard was still with us, even though it's now in skeletal form. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for that feedback, Claire, too. Claire Payne, uh, really good. Uh, Absolutely. Really thanks, good Claire. Uh, if you want to send us in your feedback, listeners, of course you can send it to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Uh, again, I'll mention, come join the group. It's good fun to uh, to get everybody who's watching the show at the UK pace uh, together in one place to have a chat about the episodes. Uh, you can join us there at facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV podcast, or of course, follow us on Twitter where we live tweet the episodes every Monday night at 10 p.m. Uh, on Channel 5, where the episodes air. Uh, next episode is obviously episode 12, airing Monday, the 28th of March. Just follow us at Gotham TV podcast. Yep. Thank you, Windows, for so much for, for joining us. And um, one of your fellow Windows is saying a big thanks to all the feedback. And um, it's great again that uh, we're here podcasting about these really good episodes of Gotham. So we'll be back again uh, with the next episode of Gotham uh, in a week's time. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for listening. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to the introduction for uh, for Hugo Strange and for Mr. Freeze next time. Yep. Enjoy your fries. Bye. Thanks for being a Butch supporter. Butch loves you, baby. This has been a Flickering Myth Podcast Network production. For more information, head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it. Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickering myth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye bye.